understanding something technical, how it relates to a real world business objective, problem or outcome, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, people are motivated to solve a problem, whatever it happens to be. And to understand and learn how to morph most effectively, understand a business problem, understand how it relates to the person you're trying to communicate with and, and present them a message that shows the what's in it for them. And now here's this episode of the Elevating IT Podcast, sponsored by Audit. Welcome to the Elevating IT Podcast. My name is Mike Brooks, and today I'm joined by my special guest, Mark Knowlton. And Mark, I got a little introduction for you here. I want to I kind of make sure I got my notes in front of me, Mark, because it's, it's a little more, I love talking to people who aren't in the, in the channel, so to speak, yep, in the sure. space, and it's always interesting. Um, but, you know, I have to make sure I get it right here. So, um, Mark is kind of a pioneer in the technical recruiting world. He's been in this since the late 90s. Also has a background in journalism, which I love. I was a, a journalist. I, I took journalism classes in, in college. I'm well, not a journalism major, but that's the extent of mine. Uh, the success in his process in technical recruiting led him to create a SaaS software as a service company in 2016 called TechScreen, which is the same year audit uh, came into existence. So kind of cool. Um, they have certification for technical recruiters now as well. It's really all about teaching and helping technical recruiters to do much better job screening and qualifying candidates so the recruiters can find better candidates that fit the roles. Mark, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Well, Mike, I really appreciate the, uh, the time and, and it's something that, um, you know, feel very passionate about in, in helping empower recruiters to add more value to the relationships they have, whether it be with the hiring managers and be able to support their needs or if they're just interfacing with recruiters. Um, but the technical conversation is sort of the currency and we're just trying to find better ways to empower them to use technical information in the way that they're doing their jobs, not to make them walking technical encyclopedias because that's just doesn't scale, but just to give them the ability to have their own comfortable walking around understanding of a technical concept so they can more effectively execute their roles, whether they're internal or they're firing at the ease, or if they happen to be in staffing, they're supporting their customers who, who are trying to fill, you know, fill seats as well. That's awesome. So, the I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, so you know, this show here for folks listening is is all about elevating IT, right? Like about communicating the value of what IT providers do to create a better, um, better product, better service for their customers, and uh, it's all about communication. You know, what we talk about a lot on the show is communicating simply, really mm -hmm. taking the technical out of what they do and talking in, in the language that a, a business owner can understand that's not technical. Now you're doing this in, in reverse. You're doing the same thing right. that you're fond of doing, but in reverse, right? You're, you're, you're helping the recruiters or the, the hot people who are hiring who mm -hmm. may not be technical speak mm -hmm. technical. Right. I found that very interesting. And, and, and the approach that we, that we take and one of the primary drivers behind our recent you know, formal certification and training program was to not turn in, you know recruiters into engineers, but to help them understand uh, technology in a way they can use this 
technical knowledge to directly apply it to how they would qualify a technical candidate. And, and so um, one of the biggest um, problems in the whole space, like if you just go in and Google and you do a, uh, write a string that says, why do software developers or why do IT people hate recruiters? You will get screens worth of you know, R-rated content. <laughs> and there's so much acrimony intensity that there are a lot of recruiters who just give the whole industry kind of a nefarious reputation and a big part of that is because a lot of recruiters get into the game, whether they land on the corporate side long-term or they stay in the agency side, a lot of them gain in entry into the space on the agency side. And the agencies you know, are willing to give somebody a shot. If they've got the wits and the thick skin and just get on the phone, they're ready to just go at it. And most of the people don't make it long-term but they just have this model where it's like, hey, the numbers say if you have n number of people try it, this percentage is gonna make it and there'll be enough to kind of pay for everyone else, right? I, mean, I was looking recently, the TechServe, um, TechServe Alliance is one of the leading industries that serve the, the staffing space. And they, they said that 54% um, of all of the productive workers, account executives and recruiters, don't make enough money to pay for themselves. So in that space, it's like, if you're not generating $500,000 in gross margin, you literally are a drain on the organization and they have to rely on the superstars to overproduce just to pay for the, the, you know, the majority who aren't getting it done. And so that has just become such an endemic thing that, that is accepted in the space. It's almost like, you know, daylight taxes and gravity. You can't argue with them, they just are. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to say is that, yeah, there are always gonna be your rock stars, your superstars who produce, but you don't have to accept the reality that a majority of your people will never pay for themselves because they can't get up to speed productively in a small enough window of time. And our, our thesis is that, if recruiters just had a more reasonable way of getting up to speed so they could have peer level conversations with hiring managers, with candidates, they could be a more effective broker in a short amount of time, not because they become an engineer. I mean, you know, I describe myself, you know, as a, you know, I was a journalism major who was allergic to math, right? You know, and when I, when I got into my first agency gig, the first time my boss called out a job order and said TCPIP, I thought my head was going to explode, right? And I was like, "How do you how do you learn all this stuff?" But you know, um, but over time, you know, I won't bore you with all the details unless you insist. But but over time, I acquired the facility to have these kinds of conversations, and I was able to see like, "Wow!" So not only is it powerful to be able to ask technical questions and understand the answers, but the real magic, it wasn't knowing a particular question and knowing the particular answer. It was the fact that I could go to the hiring manager and influence their decision-making process, gain trust through time and experience and results. And if a recruiter simply was armed with enough information to have a credible technical conversation. So you have a hiring manager, they have a ton of pressure. They have empty seats, they have shipping dates, they, you know, they've got to get stuff done 
And part of their responsibility is they got to hire these four engineering seats or we're not going to hit our deadlines. Now the non-technical recruiters asked to go find people who can do this job. And a lot of times what happens, they just throw resumes at the manager who is the one who has to weed through the people whose resumes look good, but they can't back it up or the resumes are in the middle of the road, but they're much better than the paper in everything in between. So if a recruiter was in position to do that first pass to say, okay, here's this group of people who are absolutely worth your time. Here are people whose resumes would have excited you, but they would have absolutely wasted your time. And here's some people I'm on the fence about, here's where you should do some digging to see if they're worth you know, considering. And if a recruiter could simply do that on the front end, there would be just a night and day difference between what's happening today and what could happen with just minor adjustments. And so much of it has to do with the, the everyday technical clarity that recruiters have in approaching you know, an IT concept or process or, or a technical thing. Interesting. So obviously you're selling to recruiters. Right. Yes. Like those are the people you're talking to. Right. How do you communicate the value in, in what you do to them? You know, when you're, when you're interfacing with those folks, how do you make sure that they understand you? Right. Okay. Well, it's, the easiest way I find to do that is you tie it to an actual real life business impact, right? I, remember, I recall some years ago, Indeed.com uh, had done a study on the impact um, to the economy, having all these empty seats. You know, there was a, a study of the average in IT. Um, Josh Burson had done a study that the average open seat was out there for 52 days, right? And then you take a look at what's the productivity you know, or the opportunity cost of an empty seat at a company that uses technology to produce its revenue. And it's a, in the, the Indeed study said, the US economy loses 160 billion with a B, billion dollars a year in opportunity costs because empty seats, all right? Now, if you could simply have a process by which you could lower the time to fill because the recruiters did a better job of finding people worth time in the hiring process, you would shorten the, um, you would shorten the cycle because more people would get through who are actually worth time. And it's not based on what a manager sees on the resume. It's what the recruiter is able to uncover in their conversation. You know, um, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a great example. This happened actually in, in the real world. This is one of our customers. I called them up when COVID started coming down and just checking in with can't clients see how's it going? What do you see? What do you hear? And this one client had was uh, telling me this terribly frustrating uh, story. Um, had a client, major brand name. Everyone in the United States would recognize the name. And um, he had 30 straight candidates get shot down because this manager insisted on a coding exercise, a live code pairing session with an engineer and make him solve a problem over 30 in a month. And so he says, I just refuse to believe every single one of those people was, was garbage. And he said, you know, I agree with you. So he got the manager. He said, listen, I think we got to both agree. The process we're using right now isn't generating the results that either one of us would like. So what if we do this? I get that you want to see code. So what if we showed you their public GitHub 
account. And then you ask, you, you give me questions. What questions would you ask if you had the time to talk to these guys? And we'll screen them and let you see what they, what they said. Screen three new candidates. First guy, little junior. Second guy, yeah, keep him, put him on the back burner. Third guy looked at the code, saw the answers, said, make him an offer. I don't even need to talk to him. He went from going 0 for 30 on candidates using the code pairing process to taking the approach that we teach and we, we endorse, three candidates screen two that fit the bill, one they hired without an offer. I mean, that's just unheard of um, to have staffing companies make deals under conditions like that without the manager saying, I don't even need to talk to this guy, just get him, don't let him get away. And, and the, the only difference there was greater engagement between the account executive and the manager getting on the same page to be able to say, okay, here's information that would make, would move the needle with me. And so they moved away from a process that didn't work to a process that satisfied everyone, but got the result. And, and that's the kind of thing that we're trying to uh, promulgate here is better engagement. And the common thread here is having the recruiters be able to have a conversation that was more like a peer between the recruiter and the hiring manager or the recruiter and the candidate. Peer-like engagement is essential in being able to get those kinds of results. And that's why we're so passionate about wanting to help raise the bar on the technical clarity that a recruiter brings to their job. Um, is to be able to engage more effectively and do a meaningful level of technical due diligence without having to rely on rote memorization of a massive amount of you know, noise and just have a more effective, more focused conversation. Love it. Uh, so I'm going to ask you some questions now, mm -hmm. kind of as you, yep. as a business owner, as, as a person who's trying to grow your business. Um, so these are going to be kind of rapid fire type sure. to pick your brain on, uh, ideas on how to, you know, how you're selling, how you're growing your business, how you're getting onto people's radar. So first question is give us your, your best idea for getting attention these days. What, what is working for you to get your perfect prospects attention? Well, actually, I'm so glad you asked because this is something that's a real time exercise and because I've been dealing with a lot of staffing companies and they would look at our tool and say, oh, that's a great, that's a great screening tool for candidates. And I'd say, yeah, it does that, but it's way more than just for screening, right? It's like if you said, oh, a smartphone is a fantastic tool to make a phone call. And you might say, gotcha. It definitely, you can make phone calls, but a smartphone does a little bit more than just make calls. And so what I want to do, what I'm doing right now is I want to bring our value proposition directly to the staffing company owner, right? Mm -hmm. This is the guy who put his own money, his or her own money in, is making a large bet to hopefully have a big payoff down the road and to say, look, um, your model says that most of your employees are going to underperform and if you don't hire rock stars who can carry the water for the entire team, you won't be successful. And, and so what, what I want to say to them is like, look, 
you're always going to have some small percentage that will be rock stars because that's just who they are. No matter what training you give them or don't give them, they're going to figure it out and they're going to rise. Okay. But it's the majority of the folks, what are you doing to help them, you know, move the cart down the road? And so in my sports writing past, you know, I um, always had an affinity for, uh, for statistics. So let me use an analogy that everyone can get their head around. Okay. So let's say, so you're a GM of a baseball team. You got two guys hitting 370, like Wade Boggs, Tony Gwynn. Boy, I might date myself, huh? Then you get three other people who are batting 250, right? And this is sort of on par with, there's about one third of all stopping people who pay right around the threshold where they're kind of paying for themselves. But then you have four people batting 200, all right? So you got a team batting average of 254. But let's say instead of accepting that you're able to incrementally improve the effectiveness in their engagement in their day-to-day. So you still have your 2370 headers, but instead of batting 250, three of your people are now batting 280. And then your four people who are batting 200, now you get them up to 250, sort of at that level where, okay, we'll keep them around. They're not rock stars, but we know not, not everyone can be rock stars, but they're producing acceptably. Now the team went from batting 254 to 287, okay? And by just incrementally improving the performance of the lower tier people by 25%, and then improving the performance of sort of the, that, that solid middle tier of, by just 12%, you went from 254 average to 287, and that is a completely different ball club. You're going to be scoring runs that didn't happen in the past. You're going to be getting wins that didn't happen previously by getting that much more incremental um, efficacy from the majority of your staff. But today, the staffing people rely on the rock stars and and hope that the people who are at the bottom don't drag everyone down. And it's like, let's take a look at the majority. How do we make the majority just perform more effectively? And, And I think that if a staffing owner could look at it from that perspective, they can say, oh yeah, that's, that would work. If we could just get more out of the people who are underperforming, let the rock stars do what they're gonna do, but we'll have a more profitable business and we'll have people who are more successful and they're more likely to stick around. The attrition in, 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 in the recruiting is, is off the charts. And, and this would help solve a lot of the problems that just are accepted as just, there's. No way to get around the numbers that staffing guys always look at. And even, you know, from a recruiting perspective, even on the corporate side, as contract recruiters who make a career of jumping from company to company to company. But, you know, we want to give them a seat at the table because they actually can keep up with the conversation. Right. So, and I want to get tactical with this. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, how do you how do you get them to that table? How do you get them to listen to you? Right, you have to um, when you're out prospecting. You're right. trying to get. You're trying to. You know, if you just send an email to to a recruiter, they may not. They may ignore you. Right. Uh, what's your What's your method for grabbing their attention, for building those relationships, and and getting on their getting that appointment? Well. Um... In terms of the people who I talk to, it's, it's the people who are responsible for hiring recruiters whose job it is to fill seats, right? And this could be 
you know, corporate TAs could be on the staffing side. And I try to use absolutely real world concrete examples to, to draw the distinction that, that, you know, this is a real example of somebody using our tool and our approach in what it did. Let me, I'll give you some great examples. Our biggest staffing customer has been with us since 2016 and their recruiters have screened over 5,000 IT candidates in that time. And they have either withheld or knocked out 66% of them. Um, that's unheard of, absolutely unheard of. But because they are able to engage with um, a recruiter and be able, because our, our tool has a library of 120 IT skills and you can create a customized interview picking right out of the library or you can add your own knockout questions. And our software actually shepherds a non-technical recruiter. The recruiter will actually be on the phone um, and they're, they're asking questions that they see in a screen and our software actually shepherds them through listening to a technical freeform narrative explanation of something and keep up with the answer. Our algorithm actually scores the, the accuracy and efficacy of the delivery and, and uh, generates a PDF. So the recruiter can screen the candidate and send a PDF of it right to the manager. So the manager can see how well they did, what parts they knew, how effectively they answered the question. And so it's a medium that puts, you know, it creates trust between the recruiter and the manager they're supporting. You know, so I'll use real examples um, of actual um, people using the tool and the approach. And then on the corporate side, we had a, a client who liked to hire a lot of junior engineers uh, and the, their recruiters were killing the managers with phone screens and resumes. And so using us in a pilot, they had one of their team leads cherry pick and created a .NET interview and said, hey, if anyone gets through this set of questions and does well, we are automatically gonna be interested. So in a two month period, two junior recruiters, and I was told that these were folks that had one to two years of overall industry tenure. They screened 155 software engineers, which led to managers doing 40 formal interviews. They made 28 FTE offers, 70% interview to offer ratio. And the industry average interview to offer ratio, according to a study by Jobvite, the big ATS vendor, was 17%. So two junior people using our tool and following our approach did just north of 4X the industry average of interview to offer um, just using our tool and approach. And, but the key was the engagement. The people who normally would have been reading the resume and doing the first phone screen, they cherry picked the questions out of our library and said, interview with this and we are automatically interested. And it was the same thing as the story I mentioned earlier you know, our, our staffing client who got the manager to make an offer without a phone screen because he had the confidence in the answers he provided, <laughs> you know? So right. it's, so the way I look at our platform, I, I describe it as a technical engagement equalizer. Hmm. So I, I hope that, that helped answer your question on using actual real life examples. It's awesome. Um, all right, so we're getting close to to the uh, to the end of the interview here. What's your general business secret to success? A success 
success tip, right? That has worked well for you over the years. What, what would you, what advice would you give based on? Um, I always try to be relatable, right? And, and um, you know, and I use myself as an example and, and I kind of poke fun of myself as, you know, being a, you know, formal journalism major allergic to math. But uh, I, had, I had no idea about technology and, 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 you know, how to engage with developers. It took me a long time. I mean, I, um, you know, I first started doing technical interviews when I joined a firm that hired, you know, software engineers as, as FTEs, but I used to sit in the interview and listen to the questions and write them down. Then afterwards I'd debrief, I'd say, what's the answers? What does it tell us about their knowledge? And I just tried to, you know, relate to somebody else. Like, you know, yeah, 20 plus years later, I've got candidates who say, who would bet money? Well, of course you were a developer. So wouldn't you just stop writing code and do this nonsense? I said, no, I've never wrote code in my life. I just can talk with them like that. So I just try to be relatable in that. Say, like, look, you know, you don't have to be an engineer to have a conversation that delves into whether someone knows this particular subject. And, and you know, um, if you can engage with your audience, and I don't care what you're selling, doesn't matter what industry you, you're in, but if, if you have someone who's a technical expert in whatever domain it is, but you are able to engage with them and have a conversation that gives you credibility and shows that you have some intelligent understanding of the subject, you can have much more fruitful conversations. There's trust comes more quickly. You're more credible. They can, and, and when I always talk about the, the key for us to move the needle, if you get to the point where you can influence the hiring manager's decision-making process, like that's, that's that you're in the end zone. Like that's where you want to be. And, and so um, I always try to, you know, be relatable to somebody else, understand where they're coming from, their perspective, their pain points, their concerns and, and um, risks and all this stuff. But by just being relatable, I find is the best way to connect with other people because who can't relate to something that they can have, you know, they've had a common or shared experience and you can, you can give them an example in, in the real world, like, okay, well, this was, I was in the same place, but this is an outcome that resulted in, all the stuff I did leading up to that. And it doesn't seem as intimidating for a recruiter to be able to talk to a Java developer and ask them to explain garbage collection, right? Um, I'm not an engineer, I can play one on TV, but uh, I just want, in, in this, in the way I'll, I'll finish things off, and I made this in a video recently, and this is gonna sound just homerically bold and audacious, but I literally, I have a mission of I want to create an entire generation of IT recruiters who can effectively engage with technical talent and managers so they build better relationships and they bring more trust to that that, that entire paradigm where there's been a lot of fractious um, you know, emotion and not a lot of trust. And, and I want to actually move the needle in, in that industry. And some people might think I'm insane for even forming that thought, let alone saying it publicly. But, but I believe in it down in my bone marrow because I'm, I'm a living example that it can happen. Right. And it, it just, I love it. I'm going to kind of bring it back to where, where we started from. It's, mm -hmm. it's like we're, we're doing the same thing. Our, our two companies are almost doing the same thing, just in reverse. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're simplifying 
what the tech, what the technologists, what the technology providers are, are doing, uh, are how they're communicating. And right. you are, are doing the same thing, but you're making it so that the technology folks can understand and bridge the gap between uh, the folks who, who are hiring and filling those roles. So very absolutely. Um, so if you could give your younger self one piece of advice on communicating value, what would you tell you? Uh, well, well, first thing I do is probably say I should have started my path down the technical discovery <laughs> earlier than I did. Um, but I would, uh, I, I would encourage to always focus on how um, understanding something technical, how it relates to a real world business objective problem or outcome, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, people are motivated to solve a problem, whatever it happens to be. And to understand and learn how to morph most effectively, understand a business problem, understand how it relates to the person you're trying to communicate with and, and present them a message that shows the what's in it for them. I mean, Tom Hopkins' entire thesis can be boiled down to two words, show benefit, right? And, and to be able to quickly tell the target audience, you know, about their solution. So like the, in the perfect world, you could articulate a value proposition with such clarity and precision that your prospect explains how they can't live without what you're, what you're coming to offer. And, and so I would, I would tell my younger self to understand how to have those conversations and always relate to the audience that you, with whom you're connecting and, and explain the what's in it for them. So it's so clear, they'll probably interrupt you to tell you why they can't live without it. So that's what I would tell my younger self. Fantastic. Great way to wrap up. And before we go, can you let people know how they can get in touch with you or learn more about what you do? Absolutely. So our, our website is uh, techscreen.com. And I'd encourage you to look at the training link. It's a uh, nav bar. It, it talks about and shows the modules. We have 12 modules of deep dive technical learning covering a range of, of IT subjects. But uh, also our LinkedIn page has a number of videos where we talk about some of these concepts and we, we, we illustrate some of the, the ways to understand technical concepts in a layman's, from a layman's perspective. But we're just about really helping bridge the gap between the non-technical people who are brokers in the relationships between hiring managers and the talent they, they need. Those two audiences want to find each other. The, the brokers are non-technical and we just want to let high tide bring the boats up. So the recruiters are on the same plane as the managers they need to support and the engineers who are looking for a better opportunity. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Mark, for being here. I appreciate your time today. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Have a fantastic rest of your week and make sure that you check us out on iTunes. If you're not listening to this on iTunes, we, we would love for you to subscribe, rate us, review us there and head over to all, listen to all the recordings, all the past recordings. And we do this in video. So you can see either watch the video or listen to the audio on auditforit.com slash podcast. And until next time, keep elevating IT. Thanks, Mike.